Thank Rebecca and Niall and Chris who are heading up the Learning with New Technologies group here because I kind of invited myself over. This wasn't a kind of th from public demand type speech. I emailed them and said, please could I come and speak at Oxford? When I worked in Britain, I never really used to do many talks because I used to hate, I hate doing talks and I can't be bothered. Now I'm living in Australia, I'm super keen to <laughs> give talks abroad. It's an indicator of international esteem. I'm giving a talk at Oxford University, really impresses people over there. So I've kind of thought, well, if I'm, I'm, in I'm in London anyway, I'd really love to come and speak in Oxford. But I would genuinely actually want to come and speak here anyway on this topic because A, I really respect the work that's been done here on technologies and education. And also there's a big tradition of teacher education and you know, people like John Furlong and that have a huge reputation in the area of teachers and teaching. So if I'm going to give a talk on this, I might as well give it at one of the places where the kind of research is at the cutting edge. So it's genuinely a pleasure to be here. It's not just a kind of uh, a thing of convenience. And thanks for coming. So what I wanted to talk about today is technology and teachers, but I want to do it through a slightly different lens than is usual. So I'm quite interested in work and labour rather than teaching and learning. So that's the kind of the USP of the talk. Um, and it's based, as Rebecca says, on empirical work which is ongoing. I'm glad she said it was in-depth ethnographic study. It's meant to be an in-depth ethnographic study, and indeed it is, but what I'm going to talk about today is mainly interview data and a little bit of observation data. Um, but we're working in schools for a three-year period, trying to look at the messy realities of technology use in schools. So that's where I'm coming from. I'm going to try not to read it, because that's always really boring, but I've got a few notes because it's um, work in progress. We've got another year and a half left. So one thing I would like to say before I start, none of this is written in stone. This is stuff that we're just beginning to think about. We're trawling through our data, trying to make sense of it. So if anyone here actually thinks anything I've said is wrong, I'd really be interested in hearing why that is. If you've got better ideas, better interpretations, other ideas, please let me know, because half the idea is to feed off your, your brains and make ourselves look good. So. Honestly, I'm not convinced by any of this at the moment. Anyway, hopefully we all agree one thing, because there's loads of people here. Some of you are into teacher education, some of you are into technology, some of you are not at all, some of you are yeah, sociologists of education. Hopefully, though, we would all agree that digital technology is a really big deal in education. It's no longer a novelty. It's no longer really notable in schools anymore. It's the default thing is teachers have to use technology. It's not an option for teachers today. I did my PhD 95 through to 98 and I can remember I had a survey of all teachers in seven schools and the first question was do you use a computer? Yes, no. And a surprising amount the majority of people take no. You couldn't do that today, it's not an option. If you're a teacher, you have to use all sorts of digital technologies. So the computer is just one of the commonplace tools of, of the teacher's trade. And if you think about it, there's a familiar suite of technologies that any teacher in a school will use. The learning management system is kind of rules the roost in most schools. It's a kind of big system through mo most things are done by. You've got things like PowerPoint, one of the key tools of any kind of teacher's classroom practice. You've got things like interactive whiteboards, which are still in schools, even though they're less fashionable than they used to be. How much work do teachers do through Google and Excel and Word, all of these familiar tools? I mean, there's all that sort of stuff going on. You've also got the institutional systems that lie behind the work of being a teacher, from payroll through to timetabling, through to all sorts of kind of um, behind the scenes stuff. And then you've got all the personal technologies that teachers bring into schools, their smartphones and their apps and their, their own personal digital, personal media devices. So put this all together, and you can see why te teachers and technology are a kind of a really important thing. Now there's a huge literature on teachers and technology. 
but most of it is based around how you teach with technology. So how teachers should be using or are using technologies in the processes of supporting learning or facilitating kind of education within the classroom. There's a big practical literature, a big pedagogical literature, there's a big psychological literature on teaching with technologies. And that's not what I'm interested in. This is why I'm a bit grumpy and this is why I wanted to give this talk today. I'm more interested in how technologies play a role in the teacher's work and thinking of teachers as worker and the work of being a teacher. And that's a bit different to what most people do, so that's where I wanted to come from. So there are three kind of precedents, I guess, or three areas that are probably worth just acknowledging before I talk about the data in terms of what it is I'm doing. That is really interesting, isn't it? It's kind of, that's fantastic. Kind of outline of the previous slide. So it's going to get more and more blue as we go along. Not blue in the way that you might think. Anyway, <laughs> teaching as work. I want to talk about teaching as work, not teaching and learning. So I think this is an important kind of difference to make. Clearly there's a lot more to being a teacher than supporting the act of learning. Obviously that's a very important thing, but teaching needs to be recognised, I think, as work. Teaching needs to be recognised as hard work. So one of the great people in this area is actually an Australian academic, Ray Wing Connell, and she, she wrote here, teachers are workers, teaching is work, and the school is a workplace. And I think if you think about schools and teachers and teaching from that perspective, then it raises a bunch of issues around digital technology use that you don't normally think about. So for example, the school working conditions, the working conditions of using technology, the occupational cultures that exist within schools and exist around technology, employment relations, work organisation, all of these things are, are really important issues when you think about the politics of being a teacher and the politics of teaching as work. And so thinking about these issues kind of positions teaching as, as a form of labour that's exchanged for money, that kind of has value. And that foregrounds a whole bunch of issues and tensions and struggles around teachers and technology that are not normally think, thought about. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, this idea of teaching as labour. Now the thing is, if you think about teachers' labour, it's a bit different to how you normally think about labour. So if you think about factory labour, for example, there's a specific product that you're making. You might be making car bonnets, for example, or you might be making chairs. The product of, a, of teaching labour is a bit inspecific. In some ways it is learning, or the creation of knowledge, or the retention of facts, but on the other hand, teachers are also responsible for the production of uh, grades, or they're responsible for uh, attention, uh, so um, attendance rates. They're also responsible for a whole bunch of emotional or effective forms of labour, so in terms of nurturing and pastoral role and all this stuff. So teaching as labour is a really complex thing and it relates to all sorts of different products. So teachers are involved in a range of kind of immaterial forms of labour. And what I'm interested in is how does technology kind of mesh or bump up against that. So that's the first thing, teaching as work. The second thing then is, drawing on the research, is the changing nature of teaching work. Now if you look at the education research on the work of being a teacher, it's not very pretty. I mean, those of you that work as teachers in schools will know that being a teacher is not very pretty over the last 10, 20 years. It's changing rapidly and there's a bunch of things which have been going on that make you think that this is not necessarily a completely um, happy place. So there's an ongoing intensification of teachers' work. This is the idea that teaching, teachers are being forced to um, adopt increased roles, increased remits, different forms of work are now being loaded onto teachers, extending where teaching takes place, extending the timing of teaching. This idea of teaching taking place within a classroom between 9.30 and 3 o'clock 
is no longer a reality. And there's also an increased insecurity of teachers' employment now. We talk a lot about the precariat and the precarious nature of, um, of employment these days, and that's hit schools as well. So increasingly now there's a casualisation of teaching, where teachers are being taken on on short-term contracts or part-time contracts or even zero-hours contracts. Um, not necessarily just in schools as well. I saw some great zero-hour lecturing jobs at Strathclyde advertised at the beginning of the year, which is just dreadful. But anyway, that's another story for another play, another time. But this idea of a remodelling of the teaching workforce, it's an increasingly insecure place. And there are changing types of control and changing forms of kind of management of teaching as labour as well. So though, uh, you may have read Stephen Ball, who I think in 2003 wrote about the terrors of performativity. The idea that teachers are now are kind of accountable and audited and measured and you know are generally generally kind of held responsible for the effectiveness of their work through all manner manner all manner of measurements and all manner of kind of outputs. So teaching is something that's been quantified and been monitored and you know for better and for worse. Productivity and output and quality and effectiveness and all these buzzwords are suddenly really important things in shaping what it is that teachers do. Um, and so what's interesting is how technology bumps up against these changing um, forms of labour. And the literature in this space is very kind of um, clear that most of what's happened to teaching is not necessarily very good. There's a reduced autonomy over one's work as a teacher, for example. Teachers are seen to be de-skilled in as much as they're no longer responsible for the conception and delivery of teaching, that they're much more like deliverers of pre-packaged content, for example. So all the arguments around national curricula based around this idea of teaching autonomy. People will talk about deprofessionalisation of teaching or even increased alienation of teaching. So if you look at people like Ivor Goodson or Michael Apple or some of the stuff that John and people here have done on teaching as a, as a form of work, it doesn't look very good. But surely digital technologies make everything better because that's what we're told about digital technologies. This is what I'm interested in. Those nasty things I've just talked about, how digital technologies may be altering, maybe reinforcing, maybe making things better, maybe not. And so this idea of labour, teaching and the digital coming together. So what I'm interested in here is how some of the ideas around digital labour are maybe being manifested in the school context. So the area of digital labour is really, really interesting. It's this emerging kind of area of digital sociology which is looking at how technology supports and structures and maybe leads to different forms of, of arrangements of labour. And it's a really interesting area to look at. A lot of the best research is being done on things like Uber or Airbnb or Amazon's Mechanical Turk. And so there's kind of quite sexy areas of different things. And it's quite interesting to take things like that and then transport them to the very mundane <laughs> topic of the school and then seeing what's really happening there. But digital labour is interesting because it's looking at post-Fordist forms of work and it's looking at how work is now increasingly characterised by digital distribution of labour. So a lot of digital labour looks at how work is now dispersed. So for example, there are increased forms of cognitive labour or social labour which are now taking place through technologies. Those of us that work in universities, for example, have to respond to emails from students at midnight who's having a crisis. Well, that's a form of extension of, of our work through time and place, and it's also a kind of an effective thing, isn't it? It's not necessarily... Um, based on anything else apart from, apart from affect. And it's also bringing in a whole bunch of activities that are not normally performed. 
um, by teachers. And also, even when teachers are not directly using technologies, digital labour also points to how our, the work of a teacher is being structured by systems. So it's a really interesting space to look at in terms of the classroom. So there's a whole bunch of stuff, as I said, from this digital labour literature that's worth thinking about in terms of how people who work are now always on through the use of technology. There's never time where you cannot be working because you're always contactable. Um, increasing forms of interruption or multitasking. The idea of the sharing of labour through technology, so the idea that tasks can be split up and shared amongst many people. If you think about how something like Uber works or Airbnb works, it's very much based around this sharing of labour. And also the increased um, automation of work. Now, all of these things might sound a little bit kind of vague, but hopefully they'll become a bit more concrete in terms of education, because all of these things, I think, are writ large in, in education. Now, the debate in digital labour deba uh, rages over whether these things are good or bad or, you know, to be welcomed or to be resisted, but I think it makes clear that the nature of work is changing in the digital age. So, those three areas together, teaching as work, the changing nature of teachers' work, and digital labour is kind of where I'm coming from with this paper and this, what we're doing with this project. So we really just wanted to do some very simple things, basically mapping. So I think a lot of the things you can do in education research, there's something to be said for just describing what's going on. Most of the research with education technology assumes something or presumes something and then wants to talk about potential and it kind of moves ahead of itself. So the research I've always tried to do just basically just describes what's going on. So it's a kind of neat way of um, appearing to be clever but actually doing something which is really, really simple. So what we're trying to do here is really just examine the labour processes of teachers' uses of digital technologies. We're just trying to unpack the conditions and we're trying to unpack the constraints and the opportunities of teachers' technology-based work. And I think that's a really important thing. None of these questions are pejorative. I'm not assuming that all technology is evil and all teachers are being exploited and de-skilled. I think there's a lot to be said for the opportunities and the benefits and, you know, po positive change as well as negative change. So, as I do with all of my talks, I'd like to just say I'm not a Luddite. I think technology can be great. Um, it's not all bad. But the, the, one of the kind of philosophies I'm trying to take with this approach is that it's something that I read from Foucault, one of the last things he wrote before he died, was he said, my point is not that everything is bad, but that everything is dangerous, and that there's a difference. Something can be dangerous and good and dangerous and interesting, but it's still dangerous. So it needs to be kind of problematised, but I'm not saying everything's terrible, because that's just different. So I, I kind of like that approach. So hopefully these questions kind of help us unpack that. What work are teachers actually doing with technologies in schools? What work are digital technologies doing in schools? So that's that stuff that takes place without you actually using it. How are technologies changing the nature of work, work arrangements, work management, work relationships? How are technologies changing the nature of teachers' experiences and interpretations? And I'm quite interested in this idea of affect as well, this idea of changing the character or the emotions or the feelings or the moods of work as well. So we're trying to kind of do all things with, with the one project. And genuinely have no kind of presumption on what we'll find. So anyway, the, the data I'm just going to show you are from this research project that we're doing for the ARC. It's like the ESRC. So this is the Australian Research Council, but they have money and they give out money to researchers and researchers can get funding. So it's really good. Not, I would, like not like the ESRC at all. So I'd definitely recommend coming to Australia. It's the land of plenty. Um, having said that, we've just been turned down for one. So they're obviously <laughs> not as, uh, 
I thought it was just them not being very picky, but obviously they are. So anyway, we were lucky enough to get this three-year project and, and ethnography of schools and blah, blah, blah. The, the final year is we're going to try and make things better and change things and work with schools to try and think otherwise. But for the first two years, we've had free low range just to kind of find out what's going on. So this is data that's still being collected because the school year in Australia doesn't finish till um, kind of middle of December. That's the end of our academic year. And I've just got our researchers to kind of show me what they've got. So this is really stuff that has not been thought through particularly well, and mainly interview data as well. But I wanted just to rehearse four strands to our research and I, things I think are interesting and possibly important. So I mean, the first question is, what does teachers do with technology? Now, I don't want to kind of explain in minute detail what teachers do with technology, because most of you know what teachers do with technology, particularly those of you who are teachers. But it's interesting to think about it beyond the stuff that you teach with. So I'm not really interested in learning software and, you know, the stuff that actually kind of is more pedagogic. I'm interested in the work stuff. And in our three schools, the dominant technology is the learning management system. And interestingly, in all three schools, it's actually what's called a school management system. So the learning doesn't really come into it. So it hasn't got the kind of the, the content sharing and the learning stuff that you'd be familiar with from Moodle or Blackboard. But it's very much about content management, communication, organisation, timetabling. A lot of what takes place in the teacher's uh, work is done through this system. And interestingly, it's called Compass. So it kind of directs you as towards where you're going. Interestingly, it's made by a local Australian firm. So this firm's seen a niche in the market and it's gone throughout all of the schools. It was described by one of the, the head teachers as the source of truth, or by another one as the single source of truth, uh, which is a really interesting way of thinking about this system. So there's that system, Compass, the, the school management system. Another big technology that teachers use is email. And it's really interesting the way that email pervades the, the working cultures of teachers and the management. And email is a really interesting place for tensions. And we'll come across how email is used in, um, in the schools in a minute. Googling, it's another big technology that most of our teachers are involved in. Um, you would think kind of taking a long time to research and gain the best information or you could say they're just smashing and grabbing and copying and pasting there's a lot of that going on word and excel as i said before and then in more interesting technologies like planners online planners online calendars shared calendars the idea of your schedule being worked out for you um, both personal and institutional both closed and open and we're also finding this transition of some of these main technologies to teachers own personal devices so compass there's an app for that. So you can access Compass through and your calendar through, through an app on your personal smartphone as well as through your school computer, which is really interesting. And as I've just hinted at, mobile phones and, and iPads and teachers' own personal devices as well are, are prevalent. And then there's a whole bunch of technologies that are not used by teachers but are used on teachers. So the timetabling system is a really important technology in all three of our schools. It kind of dictates what happens, what, when, how it happens, and sometimes why it happens. Um, there are big systems in each school to do this, but also a lot of it is worked out on the back of a, I would say, fag packet, but on the back of an Excel spreadsheet. Some very simple kind of Excel spreadsheet work going on. Lots of these schools are just run on Excel. There are big payroll systems and attendance systems that feed things to the central to state government. And as I say, there's a lot of internal stuff as well that takes place on, on things like Excel and Access. And then there's lots of online technologies that surveil, that monitor what teachers do. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. And teachers are doing a lot of work through this. They're 
engaging with content. A lot of the teachers work through technology involves managing content. You'd like to think creating content, but more often curating pre-authored content. A lot of stuff is around moving content around. Communication, obviously, um, both two-way and one-way, just broadcasting information. Managing workflow, a lot of admin work, recording, measuring, metrics, informing others of what you do. And then, as I hinted at before, a lot of effective work as well, affective. So dealing with the um, pastoral work that you do with students and colleagues and managing a more emotion, what is often called emotional labour. Um, being performed through these technologies. And last of all, a lot of stuff under the radar, getting informed. So a lot of informal personal development, or professional development, sorry, gaining skills on the hoof, a lot of job searching, LinkedIn, a lot of things going on which are, uh, and, and also this phenomenon of private teacher Facebook pages that they set up that they don't let teach students be friends with, but where they kind of share uh, kind of canteen humour. I guess you could call it. So there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's not just about teaching with you know, a, a learning technology and using, it's a lot, all this stuff going on around it. It's really, really interesting. But what's even more interesting is all the stuff that's being done on teachers. So the work that's being done by technologies. And what we found in all of these schools is how increasingly so much of what a teacher would have done even 10 years ago, face to face, in person themselves, is now automated. So even <coughs> taking the attendance register, for example, Sending notes home. No longer do you have to send notes home to students. You can do it at the click of a button through Compass. It will just broadcast any message you want to the students and to their parents as well. Reading out the daily newsletter in two of the schools is now done all completely automatically. It's a RSS feed and a bulletin just gets spewed out to the students and they have to spend the first 10 minutes of tutorial time logging on and reading it, whereas before the teacher would have read out the newsletter. Um, scheduling classes, grading work, it's automated. Um, and other decision-making, even when to sanction a student or when a student suddenly becomes a problem. Already, it's already being automated through systems rather than the teacher making the decision-making. The most minute things are now mediated through technology. The best school, which uh, we've been into, um, has playground duty. So teachers have to be in the playground. But rather than kind of at the end of playground duty, kind of marshalling the students and saying, right, you know, the bell's going to ring, line up, this school has an automated playlist of MP3 files and five minutes before the bell ringing, which is done by a computer, it starts playing mood music to get the kids ready to be kind of winding down and, and queuing up. It's fantastic, completely automated. We only found this out because on the first week it started broadcasting, um, so I don't know what it was, it must have been some kind of gangster rap, but the word bitch <laughs> kept coming up again and the teachers were like, oh my God, and they'd let a kid curate the playlist, so his MP3s. <laughs> Now it's a really trite point, but it means this is a piece of work. This is the teacher's work suddenly being mediated through technology and then suddenly things happen. And all of the chaos that ensued because of that little incident, you could argue, was through technology. So it's really, really interesting. And the other thing that's interesting about the work that's done with technologies is how much work is now outsourced to other people. So these technologies, these systems are also used to outsource a lot of work to students themselves. So students who, are, who do not attend or do not make school on time have to self-report. They have to go to a, a little kiosk, type in their details and the reason for being late, pick up a slip. That data gets sent off through Compass and then take, goes to school admin. And so the student does a lot of the admin work about why they weren't there, whereas before the teacher would have done a lot of that. Parents as well, a lot of work is outsourced to parents. So teacher evening in each of these three schools, 
now relies on the, the, the parents auto-completing the times they want to meet each teacher. So it's all completely sorted out. Sending in dinner money, again, all automated. Really, really interesting. So all of this means that I think a teacher today is in a very different place from a teacher maybe even 10 years ago. And this is quite a long quote, but I'll go through it. It merits kind of reading properly. So this guy's just talking about what Compass does for him. And if you read through it, pretty much, not I wasn't say pretty much everything, but a lot of what he would be doing as a teacher is mediated through technology. So he says here, I go into my class, it visualises my schedule, it tells me about any room changes I have, it flags meetings that I have. When I mark my role, if a kid's got trumpet practice, it'll actually tell me to say to him, trumpet practice. So it's even scripting what the teacher says, the interactions that the teacher has with the students during the, the first tutorial are on the system. It gives him any alerts and blah, 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 blah. It gives me resources for my teaching, so there's an actual plugin that they use called Learning Tasks, which makes them put up um, teaching schedules, uh, and sorry, lesson plans and you know, resources and all of that kind of stuff. The students can then access the lessons that they're going to be going into later in the day, so they can see what's ahead of them. Um, it replaced, uh, in Australia, a chronicle is like a teacher's yearbook that they have with all of their grades and all of their ideas and all of their plans. It replaces that. I keep all my marks there produces a list of the kids' names when they've submitted work and flags them up as green, red or yellow, which tells me who's done what. Let's me communicate automatically to all of the parents. Like, pretty much anything he does is, takes place through this system. It's astonishing. and We're just used to this because this is how what happens now. But if you think back to even, say, 10, 20 years ago, you said to a teacher, all of those things that you do, you'd think you were just talking kind of some futuristic nonsense. It's really interesting to think back about what we actually now take for granted. And as he says, it gives me a whole lot of efficiencies. So it's a really good thing. So I'm not kind of, be again, being pejorative. I'm just thinking it's really interesting that the work that's been done with teachers and technology has changed. So anyway, I will rush on to what this all means. Because I think actually it's not as easy as it giving a lot of efficiencies. It's obviously a little bit more complicated than that. And there are three things which I think is coming out of our data which I'd like to rehearse with you. And first of all is this idea of standardisation. I think a lot of these technologies are used and have the effect of actually being standardising. They're trying to kind of regulate and make sure that teachers' work is consistent. Now obviously that's implicit in things like working out the timetable and the workload. I mean, the whole idea of a workload management system is to make sure that everybody does their 0.5 or 0.7 or whatever they're meant to be. I think what's interesting though is this idea of standardisation of everything that teachers do from what they actually say to students, which is really, really interesting. And a lot of the technology use as well is about working by pro forma, filling in the blanks, filling in templates. So when he talked about learning tasks, that's a proformed um, lesson plan where you populate it with different bits of information relating to exactly how you're going to teach. So basically your lesson is there and you just fill in the blanks. Giving it then to students is really, really interesting because that then kind of... Remember I talked about the distributed nature of digital labour, well that's a kind of distribution. There's a rule in all three of our schools that if you're a teacher and you're not going to be in the class, you have to do one of these things for every class for the substitute teacher. So a substitute teacher knows exactly what they have to do. And that then gets sent to all of the students as well. <coughs> so you have this interesting thing where we've been in classrooms where the, t the students have been telling the substitute teacher what they should be doing because the students all have a lesson plan in front of them, which again is really, really interesting. Um, so this, yeah, this idea of working by pro forma, filling in the blanks, this comes across in lots of different areas. Report writing, I don't know those of you that still work as teachers but write reports, but in our three schools they have comment banks where you can literally cut and paste pre-written comments about tickets and you know, I know I write feedback for students all the time and do this, you know, there's only 20 things you need to say, this is terribly written or you know, blah blah blah. Teachers are now doing this in schools. 
Interestingly, when you talk to people in the English department, when one of the schools, the English department, is given the responsibility of read, scanning through the reports, they were saying the grammar and the construction of these things is often terrible because people are literally just boom, 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 not really reading it. And when you read the thing as a whole, often doesn't make any sense at all. So again, that's really, really interesting in the way that that's working. And one of the teachers said, you know, what is on the comment banks is really precise and really dictated. And they were saying this is a positive thing, but you can look, look at it the other way around. And also this idea of standardised decision-making as well, deciding what is a problem and what isn't a problem. When that teacher's talking about little red, yellow and green dots, they're referring to this idea of what the schools refer to as flagging. So it's conditional formatting that Excel does, that when you can program an Excel cell to when it exceeds a particular point to change colour. So for example, if, a, if attendance goes below 70%, the cell turns red. And that's used as a shorthand. In, in all of the schools for when there's a problem. But it's really interesting how it pervades the language of the teachers. They'll talk about kids as, oh, he's flagging red, or he's a green. It, it, so the idea of why, well, we'll see in a minute, why they're a red or a green, maybe is maybe lost. And what was really interesting is in two of the schools, they've had to think of where do you go beyond green, because green's not really good enough. So one of them has a blue, which is better than green. And one of them has purple, so he's gunning purple is a really good thing. So it's really interesting that this kind of automation takes place there. Now, as I said, I think there's a lot of positives here. You could argue that this is leading to consistency. It's making teachers commensurable, for example. It's reducing human error. One of the schools was celebrating the fact that if a teacher screws up and says the wrong thing, all they have to do is go on the system, change that bit of information, and then it's rebroadcast to everybody, as long as everybody kind of pays attention to the rebroadcast. Um, and it also allows teachers to know that they've done their job as well. And more importantly, passed their workflow onto somebody else once they've done their job. So a lot of the talk teachers talked about task and finish. The idea of um, once the button is clicked, it's out of my hands and I know it's gone to the right person. Kind of offloading responsibility onto the next person, knowing that the job is actually going to be kind of done properly. And there are big benefits as well for, for the administration. They can see if a teacher hasn't uploaded their lesson plans, and there's a great quote here, I can just simply do a report, see who's not done their work. At the end of the report, I can say to John Smith, I noticed you haven't done your lesson plans. What's happening? Whereas back in the day, that might have been harder to pick up. So it's much more visible who's doing their work properly or not, which is obviously a boon. Now, on the negative side, you could argue that maybe this is leading to a kind of cookie-cutter approach to doing stuff. Although there is always open-ended options for teachers to do stuff, a lot of them do find themselves just using the default. You know, why would you bother adding more comments to people's work, for example? Um, and there is also this disconnection. Because we talked about de-skilling. But because a lot of these systems are automated, you're dealing with a student as a red, but you're not really understanding why they're a red. And you have to make assumptions and that. So this teacher here saying, look, you can't cheat the system. I don't do the attendance stuff. I just put it in there so the powers that be have got the information. Um, but when I want to look at it, I can look it up and I can click on your name. And if you come up red, I know that you've not been coming to school. And then she says, well, they might have not been coming to school because it was all authorised, but they probably have not been coming through unauthorised. So you kind of have to make these assumptions, and of course you do. Why would you not trust the system? So there's this idea of maybe de-skilling, maybe kind of losing a bit of nuanced decision-making or a bit of autonomy, and maybe a danger of slight over-reliance as well. And one of the things that was interesting in one of the schools was the network went down for two days, which had never happened before, and there was chaos. Well, it seemed to be that there was chaos. No one knew what they had to do. The music didn't happen, the bell didn't ring, kids didn't go to class, and the teachers that we spoke to initially, the, the senior teachers, didn't know what the hell they were meant to be doing, because they were doing it all just in time, 
all of a sudden they didn't get that information. Now this is from the head of innovation in one of the schools, which is an interesting task in itself. And he said, you know, it was a disaster. Interestingly, the more that we spent time in the school and talked with people, a lot of the teachers were fine. A lot of the junior teachers in particular were no problem at all. They went in, they taught normally, and they, they got back. It was the senior managers that were wetting themselves. And also the kids were also fine about it as well. So it's really interesting how um, perhaps this is more of a, a leadership issue than it is actually a kind of proper professional issue. So anyway, standardisation. The second thing which I think is interesting is this idea of evidencing as well. The use of technology for evidencing, making things visible. Now I think a lot of these technology systems there is direct monitoring of how teachers are using these technology systems. The IT department can check up on whatever a teacher is doing with the technology at any time. Uh, they don't generally tend to bother, but they can do it if they want to. So there's this kind of surveillance thing going on. There's also a lot of measurement and auditing and kind of indicators of the fact that you're working, uh, both externally. So these systems are pumping out a lot of data for... Um, PISA and all these kind of national things. There's something called NAPLAN, which is the national testing thing. So you have to pump out all that information. Interestingly, that also involves a teacher survey every year of teacher well-being and teacher satisfaction. So teachers are surveyed, are you happy? And also interestingly is how technologies are used internally to replicate all of those systems. So a lot of these schools are actually using Google's forms to internally survey their teachers. Are you happy? Well, you know, you're being asked the same question twice, but it's really interesting that they're also generating data as evidence of actually kind of um, things going well. And a lot of this comes to the fact that the State Department of Victoria, about five years ago, said professional development should all be based around evidence. Evidence is really important, and schools have used this as justification for just generating or giving surveys out, and that's evidence. So it's really interesting how this kind of mandate's filtered down. And what's also interesting about this evidencing is how presentation of one's work and presentation of oneself as a teacher now takes place online. So this compass system, for example, everyone can see everyone else's spaces. So as one teacher said, there's a much higher level of visibility of one's work, which is really good because you know, it's all open and we like open, don't we, if we're technologists. But the fact that you're publicly observable makes you're not going to put up any old crap are you you're going to make sure you put your best lesson plans up or you might put up what you say you're going to do and then do something else so there's all this idea of teachers sort of managing and curating their own sense of professional identity as well which might not have taken place before the technology systems came in line so anyway all good not being negative about this at all and i think there are some obvious outcomes everything is evidence so you're certainly changing the relationship between teachers and students and admin and there is also this idea of using technology as a kind of, I've written down here, I found out since I've been working in Australia that I do tend to use bad language a lot more, but covering your ass. Technology is a really good way of covering, your, making sure that there's evidence that you've done your job and there's an email trail or a paper trail and you can point back to someone and say, no, no, I sent that there and it's all on the system. And as I say, a, a space for putting yourself over in a good light and this kind of tension about how you word your out-of-office out of email response to justify why you're not working in a way that makes you seem like you're still really busy and not kind of uh, having time off. One teacher was telling us about how she makes sure her name is put on every PowerPoint slide that she produces because it's going online and if someone else borrows it or uses it, she wants it to be evidence that it's hers and it's her authorship because she wants credit. And that's really interesting. So in some ways, I think one of the interesting things that are coming out of this evidencing is this idea of competition. This is just a quote from a junior teacher talking about her use of compass. I feel like I'm competing, which is a really interesting way of thinking about collegiality and the way that teachers are working together. 
one of the things that we found was this division between teachers that used technology and those that didn't, the in-group and the out-group, the high-tech group and the low-tech group. Um, once we got to know these teachers, a lot of them were telling us about how technology in the school, it's really ego-driven. There are this kind of alpha, and they weren't male, they were female as well, but this alpha group of tech users that were seen to be doing the best things with technology, and they were kind of put on a pedestal where other teachers were put less so. So there was an interesting kind of shift to the nature of teachers working together. So evidencing, standardisation. The fourth and final thing I wanted to talk about was intensification. And again, there's plenty of evidence we've found about how technologies are implicit in the increase of the number of tasks that uh, teachers have to do, the complexity of these tasks, and the increased expectations as well. Particularly in terms of the expansion of the role of, of, of teachers and expanded responsibilities outside of the classroom. And this won't come as a surprise to any of you that work as an academic, but the idea now that we're working 24-7 and email was a key technology in this. This idea, uh, one of the teachers said to us, we're all gluttons in this school. That was the guy who used one of the learning content sharing systems to watch his students do their homework in real time at night. So he'd set them a homework task and sit and watch them do it online. Which is really interesting, really professional, but he's at home <laughs> watching <laughs> students do homework. Surely there are better things to do with your time. One of the interesting things is communication. A lot of the kids we speak to don't like speaking with teachers. I don't like speaking with teachers. So they ping them emails at midnight thinking I'm not going to get a response now. But when the teacher's in Italy, so in the time zone that's flipped 12 hours behind, they're getting the emails at midday. So this was a guy who had long service leave. Every teacher after five years gets long service leave, gets like three months off, which is another reason why he should move to Australia. Academics, three and a half years. Um, so he's in Italy, uh, in a cafe, checking emails from students and responding to them in, e in real time. Now he can do that because he's got a mobile phone and an email system. I don't mind doing it, but it shouldn't be happening. But surely there's an interesting kind of expansion there or diversification of teachers' work, which I think is really, really interesting. And what was interesting was when we spoke to the, the, the big cheeses, they said, well, of course, that, you know, I'm in a position of responsibility. I need to be able to do this 24-7. This is an assistant principal. I'm a big cheese. A teaching aide doesn't have to do that. And what was interesting is, of course, when you speak to the teaching aides, if they get an email from their boss at eight at night, they feel obliged to respond in the same manner. When you speak to the teaching aides, a lot of their professional development is now delivered online, and they have to do it in work time. And of course, they don't have time to do it in work time, so they end up doing it at night. So this creep is not just for the kind of the, the alpha administrators, it's also for the more lowly, lowly graded people. And also this idea of role intensification. Now, this came across a lot. In greater pressures, lots of innovations, the same conditions. I've always been a hard worker, but I remember when we used to have time to chat. Now I feel like I can never get everything done. Now, that's not necessarily to do with technology, but technology is obviously playing a part in this. Now, a lot of this could be seen as positive. I think there's a positive spin to be put on this. Intensification worked one thing. What was interesting is where technology was actually being used as a source of relief. So this idea, as I said, of sharing emails that were funny, mainly about the students, sometimes not about the students, but you know, sharing jokes, canteen humour, often off-grid, often on Facebook, teaching as a form of relief. A lot of people thought that technology made the communication less formal. You didn't have to be so dear sir and madam, or you know, just because they're higher than you, you could ping them an email going, hi Jeff, or what's the name of the head of department here now? Or, yeah, I <laughs> can't remember, you can just be a little bit more kind of casual, they like that. And also just a time, we were really interested about when teachers carve out a bit of space for me time through technology. It's very difficult to get people to talk about this. 
But last month, one of the researchers was in the school, and there was a guy that she'd interviewed, and she was walking past his classroom, and she saw him in the classroom, and was going to go and say hello to him. And he was on his own, and he was on his smartphone, and he was rocking out, and he'd put, I don't know, some video on the YouTube thing. He was blasting it through the speakers, and he was just swaying away, scrolling through Facebook. He had a free period. He wasn't doing it with a classroom of kids. But he, the technology was allowing him to have a kind of respite from, uh, from work. You know, obviously, people are doing online shopping. Obviously, they're flicking through social media. They're doing stuff that, you know, gives them a bit of release. And also a lot of teachers would talk about um, how technology helped them do their work. No one said it saved them time, but a lot of people said it helped them work smarter. Uh, one of the teachers said it helps them work smarter, not necessarily shorter. And they could do a lot more and they had a lot more self-determination of work and they felt more engaged and almost a sight of kind of flourishing. The teachers saying that they felt like they were just more in tune with their, with their, um, their work, which is really, really interesting. I think the idea of actually being able to really feel like you were getting more from your work through technology wasn't something I'd expected to find, really, necessarily. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there that's perhaps a bit more effective. And the other thing that people said was great, that it allowed them to just blitz through work. So email, perfect example of being able to avoid idiots. Straight delete. Some need attention, but quite a lot don't. There's now to do it, I'm going to plough through it. And yeah, we all do this. We kind of manage our emails judiciously. I'll check it at night. If things are urgent, I'll email you back. But if not, you might wait a day or two. It's usually two seconds. Ping, ping, ping. Really kind of... So these, mainly guys, but often women as well, were saying that technology allowed them to kind of work around idiots, you know, not have to deal face-to-face -face stuff, not waste my time, get things done, which I think is quite an interesting way of thinking about it. Of course, on the other hand, a lot of people did bemoan busy work, pointless requests, and there were teachers that responded to every email, however much of a round robin it was and were less kind of judicious in their, in their work. And also, for some teachers, they would moan that it didn't save them time at all, they had no downtime at all. And um, there was this kind of... Sadness is probably not the right word, but I might... You know, people flick emails open at 10 o'clock at night before they go to bed, and their mind, their mind is back in the workplace. I find that happens to me personally. The disconnect between work, I used to be excellent at it. I used to go home and that was it. I was quite happy and content. Now I find I'm constantly thinking about work things. And that's really interesting because, again, that's not something you'd normally say straight out to a researcher. This is a guy that we've been working with for a year and a half. And it highlights this idea of mind space. Time is really important, but also kind of what people think about as well. And the idea if you can never stop thinking about work, that obviously changes the relationship you have with it. And also this idea of just rudeness. It's all very well sending off a two-word two email or ignoring someone, but there's someone on the other end of that. And this idea of an increased curtness or increased terseness or bluntness to the way that people communicate. Some of the teachers said, actually, I don't like it because it just kind of changes the way we communicate. Um, yeah, we have instances where people are demanding responses by 11 o'clock and, you know, that's not really the way that I want to work. Really interesting that there's all sorts of stuff going on in terms of the character of people's work and the way that work. Now, just before I get on to the so what, what's interesting about this is I think none of this is going to change for the better. So we got all this, don't we? We're kind of now teasing it out with teachers and talking about it. This is an assistant principal at one of these schools, and the research is really sweet, actually, because she's not an education researcher. So I always said to her, at the end, just ask this question about if you were in charge of the school. So, of course, she asks this to the principal. So she has to say, if you're in charge, well, you are in charge of the school. But anyway, <laughs> what would you do to make teachers' lives better? And he says, I'd spec them up as much as I could, have backup services so they're never offline and have every bit of software available to them so the individual give them as much rent. So hype, jack up these teachers with technology. <laughs> so what I've described to you might seem a little bit scary. It's 
only going to get more intense, for the better or worse. Just uh, scary and uh, worth thinking about. Anyway, that's kind of where we are so far. What I just wanted to do for five minutes was try and think about the, what does this all mean? Because we have to try and make sense of it. And I think it's really interesting thinking about teaching as labour and teachers' work. It gives you a completely different spin on technology. The idea of giving a device to every teacher. You can justify it from the pedagogy or the technology-enhanced learning point of view. But it has a whole bunch of other ramifications for teachers. And it brings attention to kind of complex power relations that underpin teaching. Um, now, obviously, one of the things you want to do with this research is not be naive. All of this stuff is not being caused by technology 100%. A lot of the conditions that teachers are, are reporting are about teaching in general. In fact, one of that same assistant principal said, yeah, 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 actually, these are things that would be happening anyway. We get measured, we have to give evidence, blah, blah, blah. It's technology that's helping us deal with this kind of stuff, because this kind of stuff's coming at us from the government and the community and parents and blah. Technology is actually helping us, which is a, a valid point, I think. And certainly the technologies are perpetuating things that already take place. But I do think there are some slight differences or changes or things that perhaps would not be taking place without the technology. I do think that perhaps on their own, all of these things are quite small. But when you put them together, they kind of do add up to something which I think is more than the sum of its parts. So just very, very briefly, I think this idea of visibility is really, really interesting. I'm not sure it's visibility as such, maybe there's a better word for it. But technology is certainly obscuring some forms of work. Some forms of work are being hidden through technology that teachers are now doing. So this idea of responding to emails at midnight, if you're in a cafe in Italy, is really interesting. Most <coughs> teachers didn't see dealing with their email inbox before they went to work as work. They just saw it as something they did in order to go to work and then be able to work. But dealing with your email inbox at five in the morning is work. And the digital labour literature talks about the nature of, um, well, as Trebor Schultz puts it, it doesn't feel, look or smell like labour at all. He talks about stuff that has a lack of workiness about it. Checking your mobile phone for your email at work is work, even if you're doing it at home. So that's really interesting. The technology is obscuring those forms of work, but also heightening other forms of work. So there's a kind of what Jane Perryman, I think, wrote about panaptic performativity. This idea that all of a sudden, some things I do are really important. How good my slides are. If I'm putting stuff on compass that has spelling mistakes, it detracts really badly on me, and it will be there for five years. So I'm going to be hyper careful about how I write an email or how I present myself online. So this visibility thing, I think, is really interesting. The coded nature of teachers' work is really, really interesting as well. The idea that a lot of teachers' work is now I mean, Rob Kitchen talks about code space. So the school is no longer the building and the school day. It's also a coded environment that's 24-7 and takes place in a completely different kind of architecture, a completely different place. And so these systems that they're using in schools are shaping the nature of work and teachers' engagement with schools. And it's really interesting how these systems are structured. So the idea that there are three colours, for example, comes from something that's pre-programmed into Excel. So Excel is kind of structuring whether you're a red or a green student, which is really, really interesting. And also how the schools have configured these systems themselves. So it's really interesting when you talk to some teachers, they go, oh, our campus is fantastic, I can upload 30 um, videos at once. All like that, fantastic. Talk to another teacher, campus is a huge pain in the arse, I can only upload one video at a time and it takes me ages all to do with the privileges and the admin rights that you have. So if you are a, 
have admin rights, you can do what the heck you want, and it's a fantastic system. If you're a lowly teacher, all of a sudden, you haven't got that flexibility. So it's really interesting that it really matters who you know at school to be given admin rights, which is never talked about, but really interesting. So the difference between code as object and code as act. I think technology is certainly changing the ways that teachers felt controlled or in control of their work. Now many teachers, what was interesting was they felt more in control. It reduced the need for kind of doing routine stuff, filtered out inessential work. They established what they called a hierarchy of attention, what Melissa Gregg calls a hierarchy of attention. I'm not going to, I'll leave that email to sit there because I know you're not that important and I'll deal with this straight away. And we all do that. We can ignore messages. We can put fictional calendar appointments to make it look like we're busy that day when actually we're not. Um, Maybe I'm just projecting what I do onto, onto my data. Um, all of which you could argue is really agentic and using technology to, to kind of get, get, get ahead. But what's interesting then is the differentiated experiences of this. So as I say, for some teachers in our study, they were able to creatively do technology. Others very much have had technology done to them. So every time I'm getting a, something through Compass and I'm delegating it to somebody else, someone else is getting a shed load of work shoved at them and they're on the receiving end. So I think it's great because I can get rid of work, somebody else is on the receiving end. And it, as you can imagine, goes down the hierarchies of schools and the people at the bottom generally have a better, uh, less of a time of it. So certainly differentiated experiences. And I think then perhaps the most interesting thing is the fact of how technology was individualising work, individualising responsibility and risk, kind of weakening collective solidarity and collegiality. So every email I ignore, you're a colleague of mine and I'm basically saying I don't want to deal with you so I'm ignoring your email and that can cause all sorts of trouble further on down line for you. So a lot of these technological advantages I think are advantaging one's own working conditions whilst disadvantaging others. And actually Melissa Gregg is really interesting, she's an anthropologist that works for Intel but she writes a lot about work, she had a book called Works Intimacy. And she's just written something in um, the Networked Effect book where she talks about and um, unpacks this idea of the freedom that technology gives us at work. And one of her concepts is default arseholery. That technology allows some people to act like arseholes. So I'm not, I'm not going to ignore your email because I just don't really care about you and I don't want to deal with it. But if you, you, wouldn't, you couldn't do that face. Well, maybe some people do do that face to face. But it does, in, you act in this kind of very kind of... Well, she says, in practice, liber technology means liberation from a raft of unrewarding labour that others must still perform. And so it's really interesting in terms of, I feel like I'm competing. I mean, maybe teachers have always felt like that, but it's writ large through the technology. So I'm really interested in this changing of character. So in conclusion, <laughs> this is where we've got to so far. There's a whole bunch of stuff here I think that's, that's interesting. One of the things I think that's worth thinking about, in terms of technology at least, this is one of my favourite technology researchers, only because she has a fantastic name, Mercedes Buns. <laughs> she was a journalist with The Guardian, she now works at Westminster University. And as she says here, the digital revolution is less about digital information and more about digital organisation. And I think in some ways, a lot of what we're finding out is about management and control and governance and the politics of technology, the wider logics of control as well. I'm really interested in making the connections between these quite mundane instances of technology use and wider theories of, of, of control and organisations. And a lot of people in this area are turning to Deleuze and the societies of control thing that he wrote in terms of how technologies have an illusion of freedom but actually are based around constant checking and gatekeeping and monitoring and you know, your being access is really, really, really key. And I think there's some interesting connections to be made there with that theory. 
I'm also halfway through. I thought I'd read it on the plane and I kind of fell asleep. But Seb Franklin has written a really interesting book talking about how this logic of control that's now been kind of taking place through new digital technologies actually replicates 19th century forms of bureaucratic control, 20th century kind of cybernetics, and then you've got this 21st century social informatics. And how a lot of these control logics which are now being played out through technologies are kind of perfect embodiments of things that have been in place for quite some time. So I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about how schools are changing. It's not just, you know, the same old things being done, old wine, sorry, new wine in old bottles. It's a bit more, a bit more um, nuanced than that. So I was thinking about what the take-home message is from this research, and again, I like tweets. The last talk, I gave a talk in Cardiff where I set up TweetDeck to automatically tweet about me from another account to make it look like there was some kind of interest, but I haven't done that today. <laughs> it, but I'm quite interested about what this talk is actually all about. Is it just digital drudgery of teachers' work? Is it just the fact that teaching can be intense, 24-7 work and technology just augments this? I mean, what is the whole point of all this? Because I don't think it's schools are terrible places and technology is terrible and teaching through technology is terrible but I don't think necessarily it's this is the smart school and the effective school it's actually quite complicated to try and kind of make sense of all of this but one of the things I want to do with the next phase of the project is to work with teachers and say these are the things we've found and I'm sure they'll say yeah we know all about that but it's really nice to have somebody out from the outside saying it and then to try and think otherwise about these things how could we do things otherwise in schools so we're going to try and use critical participatory design and the thing about the dangerous, bad distinction, as Foucault says here, it's not the same as everything being bad. If everything is dangerous, we always have something to do. So my position leads not to apathy, but to hyper and pessimistic activism. So I'm really interested, how could we, it, very trite example, how would you want to use email? Would you want to, and there's some really interesting examples of this. So some firms have banned email altogether. Others have a kind of only CC3 people rule. Or other, there's one company I found out that you have no CCs at all. So if you want to email 100 people, you have to send 100 emails, which will make you think about why you're sending 100 emails. So how could we think otherwise about all of this? Is it too ambitious to think, oh, we'll get teachers to design their own technologies and build from the bottom up, which is a kind of, uh, I was going to say knowledge lab way of thinking about things, but probably only now we'll, we'll get that. But I want to think differently. So I'd really be interested in see your thoughts about what we could do about all the stuff I've just described, how we can maybe pick out the good bits, how we could think about making the, the other bits better. But I guess that if there is a key take-home message, it's that A, digital, those of you that work in the Learning with Technology group, digital technology is not just a matter of enhancing learning or supporting teaching. It's a key element of people's working lives, which I think is worth talking about. And it's a key element of the quality of people's working lives as well. And I guess in that respect, it's something that all researchers need to pay a lot more attention to. Anyway, I've spoken for far too long. So I will stop there. Never clap at the end of your own talks as well. That was not a good <laughs> idea.